Hello, and welcome to the Cardinal Cafe. My name is Greg Chastain, and I'm the president of Voices of Hope. And I'm here with my partner, Ed Siegel, the vice president of Voices of Hope. Hey, Ed. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm good. What's going on this week? Oh, not much. Just one more week in the life of waiting for COVID to let us back into our normal activities or as normal as they can be. Exactly. Healing from my Super Bowl injury, so that's good. <laughs> your, your battle with an avocado. Yeah. Yeah, the good news was tonight that uh, Governor Baker announced tomorrow he's going to be telling all of us when we can go get the uh, shots. They got 8,000 Johnson & Johnsons they weren't expecting. and Oh, wow, so I didn't hear that. Must've. Things are going to open up fairly quickly, I think, which is good. It's yeah. good for all of us, especially in the theater world and in the sports world. Maybe we'll get to go sing at the Red Sox this year again. Ooh, that would be nice. Yeah, instead of the virtual one we did for the Celtics, which was cool, but being at Fenway, uh, it would be great just to yeah, beat a absolutely. baseball game. Our fingers crossed for that. Yeah, not Game's April though. Close. We've done April oh. before, and it's brutal out there. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I've said this before. I remember when I was coaching softball, and our girls would the season would start in towards the end of April. We would have practices at the beginning of April, and it was just brutal. These poor girls, they're out there and there. And their sweatshirts, their hoodies, um, freezing their little butts off. Uh, I played high school baseball, and we started in – I grew up in Indiana. And I played in snowstorms, we played. Because <laughs> it didn't stick to the ground because the ground was warm enough, the snow wouldn't stick. But you try and find a fly ball yeah. in the middle of snowflakes, and, and it, it ain't fun. And then if you hit one off the end of the bat, you break your fingers off. <laughs> yeah, right. I was a, I was a DH and the catcher and a relief pitcher, so I got to wear gear. At least that was a little bit warmer. But I'm glad you had a good week. I'm glad your hand is healing. Like I said, my wife's toe is healing, so awesome. she's doing much better. And uh, all you other VOH members out there with bodily injuries from being at home and doing new things that you've never done before, I hope you heal just as quickly as everybody else. Hey, but so, yeah, so in the sports world, though, huh? Let's sports yeah. ball a little bit. Little sports ball. That's for you, John DePrima. Sports ball time. Eight new Patriots. Eight new Patriots. My God, Bill is a busy, busy boy. Doesn't like being on the losing end of a season, I see. But nope. that's great for us fans. I'm, that's awesome. Right. I, can't I still can't listen to sports talk radio, though, because no matter what, there's always somebody that's going to talk about how bad of a decision these these picks have been. <laughs> well, today, they, they, they got Hunter Henry today, which was now they have the top two tight ends in the league. All they talked about was, Oh, this is because Tom Brady pissed off Bill. And so yeah. Bill's just getting back at Tom. It's like Jonathan Kraft and Bob Kraft are not going to just give him money to get back at Tom. Right. <laughs> so no, this is the first year they've actually had money that they could participate in the first round of free agents yeah. uh, that were available. They've never they've never had that much money before because they were they're always picking towards the end of the draft and they've never had the opportunity to play when some of these top names have been available so yeah they said today it was um, part of this is due to covid because they didn't spend last year because they didn't know if they were even going to play so they didn't spend on big names last year <laughs> hence the yeah. seven and nine record but that's why they have all this money this year so why not you know if you got the money spend it. you know i don't i don't expect them to win the super bowl but i i will be very happy if they make the playoffs it'll be a fun year again if you're gonna like if voices of hope had fifty thousand dollars to spend on every show we'd be doing les mis and miss like you know you got the money spend it and use it you know and produce what you can produce but That's right. speaking of producing and directing 
We have our first guest ever on our podcast. That's right. It's the Executive Artistic Director of Voices of Hope, Miss Dana Siegel. Hi, Dana. Hi, Greg. Hey, Ed. Hi, honey. Where have you been? <laughs> Gee, you look good on that couch there, babe. <laughs> For those of you who listen to us who do not know us, Ed and Dana are happily married, and we're all still uh, getting through this together, and this is a great way to do this. And I wanted to have Dana on because last time in our very first podcast, Ed and I talked about the origins of Voices of Hope and, and where that came from through AIDA, and Dana was actually the director of that show. And we've known each other a lot longer than that as well, but I wanted to have Dana on to kind of continue the origins because she is a big part of who we are, why we're here and what we do and how we've been so successful. She's been with us since day one. She's the heart and soul of our group. She makes everybody give 110% because you want to give it to, to her because she works so hard at getting it out of you. So welcome, Dana. I'm so glad you could be our first guest. Thanks. I'm so excited you guys invited me to the club. I, I mean, the cafe. <laughs> We don't have any uh, milk or cream or anything because it's quarantine. So our refrigerator is bare right now. So that's okay. The company's good. Someday we're going to be able to do this live and actually get to sit and have a cup of coffee and talk to people. And so as I said, Dana and I go back a long ways. We go back before Ed and I. Yeah, I knew you before I, Ed. That's right. Right. I was one of the people that had to give approval for Ed to even go out with Dana. That's, that's <laughs> another story for another time. But there were a lot of big brothers protecting me in those days. I will say oh, that. Oh yes. Yeah. Gauntlet I had to get through. Yeah. So Dana, you've done a lot of. Uh, well, you've done every Voices of Hope show. You've directed every Voices of Hope show. But also, you have directed so much before Voices of Hope. You're one of the uh, most sought after directors around. So we're very honored that you are with us. But prior to Voice of Hope, you did a lot of these big major musicals too. And that's actually where we met. We met doing the Winchester Hospital fundraiser, the Winton Show. That's right. Um, I want to say 15, 18 years ago or something. That makes us like 42. Yeah. Yeah. We were really young then, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about with you is how you came to be with us, but also your background. You're also come from the medical field, which brings a little bit more to Voices of Hope in in your eyes. And uh, just kind of give us a little background of who Dana Siegel is and how we got so lucky to have her in our group. Aw, thanks, Greg. That's really sweet. I'm actually a classic theater kid. I grew up in Tewksbury in an organization called TTW, Teen Theater Workshop. Absolutely fell in love with the big Broadway musical. And we did um, a number of just really large musicals, My Fair Lady, Mame, Sound of Music, King and I. So I was really introduced very early to musical theater. But I also had a passion for medicine. I started out as a candy striper and a nurse's aide. And I knew early on that I wanted to be a nurse too. Eventually, I would go to nursing school. I would meet, ironically, somebody who is to this very day a Voices of Hope member, Mary Beth Barry. She and I both loved music and had a theater background and wanted to keep that alive while we were in nursing school. So we had a small little coffeehouse quartet called DJ and Me. Um, And we sang, played our guitars and sang together all through nursing school. And then, you know, you get married and you have children and you kind of span out in the world and start settling in as an adult. But I always kept my uh, roots in theater. When my daughter was younger, I taught for the 4-H club. I taught theater in the public schools and just always maintained my passion for that while I was building my nursing career. Eventually, I would have the opportunity to start intersecting those where I started getting involved in philanthropic organizations that raised funds for healthcare issues. 
I started directing for the Winton Club, as you mentioned, where you and I first met. I think we met with you sitting on a couch, a wooden painted couch (laughs) with some folks that actually are VOH members to this very day. And I think you were singing the opening to Friends. Am I correct? That is correct. That was back when Friends was a big thing. It was myself, Sharon Martin, JK, John Kelly, uh, Hillary Brooks, who was our accompanist for our first shows. I will say one thing about that couch, it stunk. They painted it with something horrible and none of us wanted to sit on the couch. And as soon as we could, we ran away from that couch. But that was a fun yeah. song. It, that was back when it was a, so it kind of dates when we were all together doing that because that was a big yeah. hit. Yeah, we did that. And then I got involved with uh, Paint and Powder Club in Lowell, where, again, many of our current VOH members, I first met there. And um, they also raised funds. Every year they chose a different charity leukemia, cystic fibrosis, whatever the issue was. So I really learned that I could give to my my medical community through my theater art. So it was a really nice intersection of the things I love. As you know, as common in community theater, we all sort of work with different groups and then you grow friendships and then you go do a project somewhere else and then you invite your friends to come. But I feel like I dragged a couple of friends from Winton to Colonial Chorus and it might have been there that you started your relationship with Colonial Chorus, to which Ed eventually mm-hmm. came in through yeah. Colonial Chorus, right? Right. I can never remember if it was Colonial Chorus and working, or if we went the first time to do um, Lies and Legends. In Burlington. Burlington, was, yes. Lies and Legends was before you came to Colonial Chorus. Yeah. Because we, I remember that was going up while I was doing another show, and then- you, you followed on after that. That's right. We did several shows at, at Burlington. We did City of Angels and Lies and Legends and Godspell. And you were actually in Godspell. Godspell. Yep. So by the time we did Godspell, Ed was sort of in the crowd. In the circle, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. we started traveling together doing shows until we went and did the famous, although almost infamous, show <laughs> in Arlington, Greg, if I recall, the show that was and almost wasn't. And if it wasn't, there wouldn't be a VOH, actually. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. I don't know what you're talking about other than the show, The Lights Went Out. There Was there something else that happened you want to... Oh, no, 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 um, no, no. no. Uh, well, it happened before the show, actually. Uh, we're going to tell stories now. <laughs> when, when an um, overly enthusiastic, extremely talented slightly younger man, auditioned for a show that he really hoped to get a certain part. And sadly, his director had to call him and and tell him that he didn't get the part he wanted, but he was getting cast in a show in a delightful, rich ensemble piece. And he said, no, flat out. Yeah. Tisk, tisk, tisk. No, thank you. I, I did get the role I want. I'm not doing the show. You don't know who that might be now, do you, Greg? Uh, it might have been me, and I might have got another call from you after I said no. Because I don't think I don't think you called me. I think somebody else called, and they said no, and then all of a sudden you, my phone rang, and it was you. Like, oh. wait a minute. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I, I remember calling you and saying, whoa, wait a minute. And, you know, it's really interesting because I will say that I have a huge passion for ensemble work, as, as you know. It's just something that I've always been drawn to, the big ensemble. And, and I have a real investment in wanting people in ensembles to recognize the real rich value of a highly talented, highly invested, skilled ensemble. So I always get excited when you have a large ensemble with invested people and really good talent. 
I recognize it's not everybody's first choice, <laughs> but I do. I remember calling you and kind of saying, oh, Greg, let's stop and think about this. And of course, if you're not doing the work with the friends that you want to hang out with, you're missing part of the reason that I love theater because right. it's what I want to do with the people I love and hang out. Some people ski and some people golf and, you know, we as a community do theater. And so I really wanted you to be part of it. But I do remember um, needing to work hard to get you to decide that you would join us after all. I also knew quite honestly, Greg, at that time that your mom was nearing the end of her journey. And I really felt that you needed to be with us and to be with friends and to be in a show. I had no premonition of voices of hope in that moment, but I know that a theater organization, a group invested in a show is a good safe place to be when you need support. Mm -hmm. And ironically, that's the foothold, if you will, for what would become voices of hope later. Right. It's, it's, and it just goes to show you that it's a single decision that can make a big change in your life. If I'd have stuck to my guns and like, no, I'm tired of Rich Mikowski beating me up for every damn part I go for um, and, and <laughs> not, not accepted, <laughs> not accepted, we wouldn't have Voices of Hope because I would have done the show and I probably would have gone home sooner just to be with mom and everything. And uh, we talked about the origins of last last podcast of what that happened, but it just shows you it's just one moment in time. You just don't know what that moment's going to be and where it turns your life around, which it did for myself and now many others, because we're one big giant family that support each other. Just as you said, you're talking about your ensemble work. And one of the things that people always say when we get reviews or people talk to us about voices of hope is they appreciate and love the power of our group from the size and from the volume and from the talent that is from number one to number 150 on that stage. And that goes back to what you're saying, the love of the, of the ensemble. What you bring to it and to us is in an ensemble, a lot of times I've been in shows, the ensemble is the, uh, the wallpaper in the back, the chorus line in the back of a non-chorus line show. But you give us the opportunity to go out and kind of find who that person is in the ensemble. Like when we did Titanic, we researched all the people. All the ensemble had real names of real passengers. Um, in Fiddler, you had us all do homework on who your families are. What did they do? What did they work? What part of the family are you? So you take the time to give a purpose for everybody on that stage to be the best they can be in the moments that they're on stage. And that brings the whole show up. That's the big wow factor for our shows anyway. And I always put that on all the painstaking work that you do with every single member of a cast. We all appreciate that. And just kind of wanted to ask you, a lot of directors don't do that. They don't take that time. But what brought you in to be able to do that with people and, um, and, and why? I think part of the reason I've always been invested in it is I've always worked in community theater or philanthropic fundraising work with really large casts. It's just the nature of that kind of work where lots of people want to be involved. But the reality is when they are involved, if you don't give them a place and a purpose and a reason to connect with the story on stage, you're right, there's a disconnect between the main story with you know rich, wonderful, invested leads and this sort of divide between others that might be waiting on stage to sing their next song. I think part of the fun of a large ensemble is making sure that every single person has the opportunity to define who they are in that story, whether the author wrote them into the story 
or wrote a great ensemble vocal number into the story of which they're part of, they still have to have a purpose. They're connected to somebody, related to somebody, observing something from a perspective that they get to create. And then when an audience looks at the picture, it's whole. Like every place on stage, whether you're watching a lead, a secondary character, or an ensemble member, the story should live in every single inch of the stage, regardless of where you're looking. The Aida moment clicked on, my light clicked on when I was in an ensemble is when we first sat down and started doing some of the amazing harmonies that are in that. Mm. And being a tenor and having, you know, the best lines written for tenors in these shows, because Elton John wrote it. So it's tenors had the best lines. It, those are the moments that kind of like got you in your gut. I'll never forget that after we finished singing God's Love Nubia every night that we were still walking down the stairs, the back stairs to the green room, and the audience was still on its feet clapping and cheering for because it was such one of the most amazingly powerful ensemble numbers mm. that, that you know I, I've been involved with. One of my favorite moments in our VOH world was at the beginning of Fiddler. We were at a sold-out North Shore Music Theater, sold out in the round North Shore Music Theater. And the opening number, out of the VOM, comes one, two, up to 102 people in that big circle, making a circle like the barrel full of monkeys holding our hands <laughs> and hit the stage at the, the last person, the 102nd foot, hit that stage at the last note when they were supposed to. I think it was the only time we ever, ever did it but it was live, but it was just in the crowd seeing how big we were and how beautiful we could sound and how wonderful we could move and everybody's face in each ensemble member being in the moment. And it drew the crowd in and the rest of the night was history. And we do that every time. And that's just a testament to how you treat the ensembles. And, and that's kind of what we are as a VOH family. We're a big ensemble of people. I think that's why you are able to get so much out of us because you believe in every moment on that stage and every person should have a moment, no matter what that scene is or who that is. So thank you for uh, turning me back into an ensemble member and slapping <laughs> my face back in Aida. <laughs> well, well, thank you for, thank you for having faith in it. I, I actually hope that everybody who participates with us feels that I recognize the, the blood, sweat and tears that people give and give and donating their time and their energy and their effort, particularly within Voices of Hope, but in any theater group. And I just want people to know that when they're doing that, that their time and energy and talent and effort is valued, that, you know, they're never just the backdrop. And we take turns. We have some amazingly talented people that will step back and support the ensemble. And there are many people who really prefer the ensemble and have perfected the art of being a really consummate storyteller without ever having a piece of dialogue shared with them. I, I think when you look out on an audience, an audience looks on a stage at a, at a rich um, setting, you feel the humanity of everybody connected to each other on the stage. And I think that's part of what makes Voices of Hope sort of cause that awe factor for us sometimes is, you know, sometimes people will say to me, Dana, how many people is too many people? like, you know, 60, 80, 90, 100, you know, when is it too many? I don't think I've met my too many yet. <laughs> like nobody's fallen off the stage yet. No, nope. it's collapsed yet. Nope. Um, but I think the reason I work so hard is because I, I want us as an organization to be able to embrace the energy and effort people want to give us. And I think I want to constantly look for and seek ways to reward that for everybody. That's a feedback we get from the audience all the time. 
is how well connected the ensemble is when they watch the shows. They really feel that. In the few minutes we have left, I just want to switch gears for a second. One of the things that we like to do on this podcast is kind of share the stories of how VOH has affected the people within the organization. And I'd just like to have a few minutes of you talking about how Voices of Hope has kind of made a change in your life and how it, what trajectory kind of puts you on in the way that it has affected you and your family. I actually encountered loss from cancer early in my life. One of my best friends when I was a young mother died of breast cancer. And I was shocked and stunned that that could happen, you know, when I was a young, vibrant mom and our children are a little and going to grade school together. I would come to lose many more people throughout the course of my life to cancer. My daughter, Sabrina, would come to lose one of the most important people in her life when she was in her mid-20s. And I was struck again by how much we needed to learn and do and know about cancer. You know, it really came to bear, Greg, for, for me to a great point when, um, you know, with you and your mom's journey and recognizing in many ways that the loss needed to be put to work. But for me at that time, I was actually celebrating my mother's recovery from pancreatic cancer, as rare as that is. And so I recognized that there was a reason to celebrate. And it sort of gave it a slightly different opportunity for people to come together. I happen to be involved in the Mass General community from a medical profession. So when we connected with the Tamir Center, it really brought both of my worlds together. My brother, Ken, would be diagnosed with stage four melanoma, a very dark, dark time in our family. And now having learned so much more about cancer treatment and what was available, we were fortunate that Kenny was able to be treated at Mass General and today is in his fourth and working toward his fifth year, which is the recovery year as we know. So there has always been an intersection between my passion for medicine and my use of the theater to to raise funds, but now they're really anchored solidly in the one focus that I really wanna contribute to, which is the cancer community. Recently, Voices of Hope has supported uh, a nursing grant at Tamir to honor nurses who are doing research and finding where their contribution to the cancer journey can be. And I'm so honored to be on the board that helps to select the nurses that receive the VOH-supported grants. So that was really where it came together for me, was to be able to honor my own peers professionally, as well as to work in memory and celebration of loved ones. Yeah, it's amazing. We've been able to um, make the connections we have at MGH and a few of our members and their family members have been able to be treated there and are doing well. If I had said no in 11 years ago and stomped my foot and like, I'm not going to do the ensemble, these people might not have been able to find what they, you know, the, what they needed to get through life. So it's all, you know, all changes in a heartbeat. Our, our relationship is amazing and we have some fun things lined up to continue our journey. Uh, like I keep telling people, you know, COVID-19 didn't knock cancer out. Cancer is still here. Cancer is still relevant. It's still the top killer out there. And we need to keep doing what we're doing and continue our journey. We're in great hands with leadership team and our artistic director like you. We have a, um, a lot of good stuff coming up that we're going to be announcing soon. We're going to be giving our donation for 2020 this uh, upcoming weekend to MGH. And we'll announce that next podcast, what that is. Yeah, the journey continues. And like I said, I'd, we wouldn't be where we are without you. You are the heart and soul of this group. 
I just can't thank you enough for uh, putting all your directorial hats in our in our basket. Um, uh, I am I am honored to be here. I can't imagine any place else I would want to be. It's grown from a philanthropic work to a family. The passion is there, but the the people are really what drives right. us. And quite honestly, Greg, I, I just want to also toss it back at you. It's been a difficult year for all of the organizations that we know and love in this area. Ours the same as everyone else. But you have done an extraordinary job in remembering that we're not just a performance organization. We're a philanthropic organization. You know, we have goals and directions that are bigger than an individual show. And you have done an extraordinary job as our leader, making sure that our members know we're still here, we're still connected. We're finding alternate ways to sing, to stay connected to our charitable organization. So when the world reopens, we'll find that our members are still there. We've kept them together. We've kept them connected. We've kept them supported. Um, and you've really led the journey for us to be sure that we're ready to get back in the game again. And um, we've done some awesome things during COVID. We've learned lots of things about recording and shifting and performing. But I think more than anything else, we've learned the power of our community to be present and be supportive and now to be ready for our next adventure. Yep. So kudos to you for leading that connection. Thank you. Um, we have a wonderful team. We have an amazing board, Ed and you, doing your parts, my wife, Jean, and uh, Beth Consoli, who's our membership chair, um, as well as all our music directors and choreographers and COVID compliance officer, which I never thought <laughs> I'd ever utter that, <laughs> and our technicians, and, like Darren doing all the work in the recording studio, and yeah. just and the members just come in and help when they can, and they do all kinds of stuff. So it's a great family and I, I couldn't think of anywhere else I'd like to be if we're going to be locked down, locked down together via Zoom <laughs> with everybody. Yeah. It's a great little but, family. But you, the, the word that you use is family. And that's, you know, we have grown into such a strong, big family. That's one of the things that I'm most proudest of is what has been created for supporting all of our members uh, when they've needed it, no matter what, no matter what the what the need is, whether it's cancer or just some other problems in their life, you know, they know that we're always there and they can always come home. Exactly. Thank you, Dana, for joining us and being our very first podcast guest. I'm but, honored. Right. Thank you for inviting yeah. me. But you can't yeah. go away yet. Well, of course you can't. You're we're right here in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Someday we'll all be in the same studio once this is over. But before you leave. The guests on our show must go through our theater quiz, theater slash music quiz question of the week. So I think it's this week is Ed's. I did last week. So Ed, I'm going to let you, and it has been kept on a mayonnaise jar in Funk and Wagnall's porch since yesterday. So none of us has seen it yet. That's an old Johnny. Rice Cooper Waterhouse um, are are tallying the, uh, the votes as we speak. So this theater trivia segment is brought to you by... Who Insert knows if you'd like to sponsor us, sponsor this segment. We are open to having that sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> Last week, you made the connection from the show that spurred on VOH, which was Aida. And the very first song that we sang when we did our first show, which was Seasons of Love from Rent. And you asked me what was the connection there. And of course, it was Adam Pascal, who had leads in both of those shows. So I wanted to continue that connection with Origins. I found that there's a significant connection between Aida and the very first book musical that we ever did at North Shore Music Theater, which was Jesus Christ Superstar. So my question to you is, what is the connection 
between Aida and Jesus Christ Superstar. I didn't have a lead in either one. This is true. But <laughs> right. um, right, you so would have been in the ensemble. ensemble. <laughs> but you had more of a lead in um, a, a featured role in Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. So let's see. Elton John wrote Aida. Yep. Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote JCS. Yep. Um, um, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know who it is. Elton John and Elton John and Alan uh, Menken. Tim Rice. Tim Rice. Oh, Tim Rice. Oh, oh, Tim Rice. And the Tim Rice. Uh, and Tim yeah. Rice did JC as well. Tim Rice Very was good. the lyricist for both Aida and Jesus Christ Superstar. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome. Wow. Wow. Congratulations, Dana. And for you, that, you win a, you win trip. dinner from Ed. <laughs> <laughs> We are looking for sponsors for the podcast. So if you'd like to sponsor the question of the week, please contact us at vohboston.org. We'd also like your feedback. We'd like to know what you like, what you would like to hear more of. And you can, again, do that through the email piece at vohboston.org under the contact us section. You can also, while you're there, look at previous shows, photographs, videos, and uh, see what events that are coming up in 2021. We'll have some announcements soon. And hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have some live stuff we could do. Yeah. We'll see. We'll I'm see. pretty hopeful that we will. Before the year is out, I'm sure that we're going to be able to do at least one live performance somewhere. Yes, yes. And as I said, we're giving our annual donation this week to MGH. And next week on the podcast, we will let you know what that is. Next week, we're going to have Roger Desjardins with us. His son is actually one of our musical directors, and Roger's done a lot of fundraising for us. So he's going to tell us his story. And then after that, we're going to have the friends from Spotlight come in and talk about how COVID has affected the community theater world in their eyes. And then after that, we have some other people lined up, and we'll get to that when we get there. But for this week, Dana, thank you very much. And oh, thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> Fun to share it with you. Yeah. Ed, until next week, rumor is Deshaun Watson or Garoppolo is on the way. So maybe Ooh. by this time next week when we do our podcast, we'll have a quarterback and the team will be complete. I don't know, but maybe before that even happens, maybe LeBron James will now suit up for the Celtics since he's part owner of the Red Sox. Yes, Celtics. that's pretty exciting. Well, the good thing is we won't get Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett. They signed today with other teams. So, oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. So we oh only have God. a couple more. We only have a couple more dregs to get through that aren't going to land at the Patriots' feet. Okay. <laughs> you guys are such Renaissance men. Like you can shift from arts to sports on a dime. Like whoa. Wait till we start talking about movie quotes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Oh, you blend. Oh, you blend. All right, gang. Thank you very much. Like I said, our next podcast will uh, be coming up shortly. So vohboston.org, contact us. And if you have any questions, just go through there. Dana, thank you. Ed, thank you. And thank we you, will Ed. see you soon. Thank you. Have right. a good, good night. night all. Good night, all. Cheers. Cheers.